Well, last week we were looking at the positive aspects, you know, what a pastor should be and all of the, the sort of the good things um, that a pastor, and we were particularly thinking about integrity, you know, that a pastor should be someone of integrity. Well, in this session, we are, uh, in this week, we are thinking about uh, what a pastor shouldn't be. And we're starting to think about, you know, the, the um, what a pastor should do to kind of in the, not exactly in the negative sense, but what a pastor should be against. You know, so we've thought about what a pastor should be for, and then we are thinking about what a pastor should be against. And um, I think particularly this is something which is relevant to the role of, of bishops. Um, you know, in the, in the Church of England, and I know I said last week that how we organise the church, you know, what's called church polity, has been a matter of disagreement amongst Christians. And, and that's all, you know, that's all fine. You've got the Anglicans, you've got your Presbyterians, you've got your independents and, and so on. But in the Church of England, I think, you know, bishops are pastors to the pastors. And that's the thing, that a bishop's job is particularly to ensure that the pastors, um, the elders, as, as we call them in Titus, are, are sort of doing their job properly. That's what they are, they are there for. Um, and, you know, every kind of pastoral ministry has two, two functions, if you like. You know, there's the, um, what we were thinking about last week, the integrity. And then there's what we're thinking about this week. This is the second thing that we are we are thinking about. So um, Paul, he, he he's continuing on his his line of thought from last from what we looked at last week. He says in verse ten four, and um, when we look back to verse nine, what he was saying is to refute those, encourage others by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. So this is why he's continuing that line of thought in verse ten four because there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. So he's saying there are people out there, particularly those uh, pastors who are uh, rebellious and who uh, are full of deception, he says. Um, so you know, this kind of saying there's, it's intentional. You know, it's more than just simply being wrong. But there are people who are actually out there to deceive. There are people out there to uh, to deceive and who don't listen to to sound doctrine. And he he mentions uh, a a particular group who says especially those of the circumcision group. Now who was he referring to here? Well, we know in the um, in the New Testament that circumcision was often a sort of a a code word for. Um, you know, people who believed that we still had to to follow all of the Old Testament uh, laws in their in their entirety, particularly when it comes to circumcision. Um, Paul encountered this in other places. Let me read you um, Galatians chapter two, verses one to five. And Paul says, "Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and." Meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. 
we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So in Galatia, this is a problem that Paul had encountered. And I think it, from the sounds of things, it was a fairly common issue around the churches in the time of the New Testament that you know, there were people who said in order to be Christian, you have to keep every single one of the laws of, of Moses, you know, the, the circumcision being uh, chief among them. Um, but all of the kind of the ceremonial laws and all of the kind of purity laws. And so this is um, this is what Paul, I think, is talking about here in, in Titus. You know, there was a particular, particular group who was saying, you know, no, believing in Jesus isn't enough. You have to do X, Y and Z as well uh, in order to be to be Christian. Now, how does Paul deal with this? He says, verse 11, they must be silenced. They must be silenced. I, I sort of read that and I thought, wow, you know, that can you imagine um, anyone of the bishops today saying that or or most of the clergy, in fact? And I think, you know, that I've often said this, that, you know, Paul, he, he wouldn't last a minute in, in the Church of England. And sadly, a lot of the, the mainline churches today do not have this this sort of attitude but it's an unfortunate but it, it's a a part of ministry which has to be there you know that has to be defended against against uh, these people why is it that that, that that must be the case and Paul says because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they uh, they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain so they're teaching things that they shouldn't teach. It's, it's not just that people in the, in the pews, as it were, you know, um, are believing things which are, which are not right. But rather that it's actually these people are teachers. And, you know, James says that, you know, we who teach will be judged more strictly. And, you know, that to become a teacher of the faith is, is actually to, you know, to ha incur a more responsibility, you know, that actually... Um, you have more responsibility to teach what is right and um, and that's what they weren't doing and and it says they were doing it for dishonest gain as well in contrast to what Paul says in, in verse 7 it says um, that, that um, an, an overseer must not pursue dishonest gain but they were using their ministry to you know to get wealth for themselves you know and this in these um, these times often someone who was a you know a notable kind of teacher could could make themselves a pretty good living i think by by doing that and that you know unfortunately i think in in the church what these teachers were doing is that they were making a pretty nice living on the back of teaching what was what was not true which was a distortion of christianity and it says they're throwing people into into confusion and the problem is as uh, Paul goes on to say, that they look just like the world. This is the problem. He, he quotes this, um, this uh, Crete's own prophets, he says, Cretans are always lies, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. And he says that this is true. And I think what he's trying to make the point that you know, these, um, these false teachers are indistinguishable from the rest of um, pagan culture, you know, the, the worst aspects of, of Cretan culture. 
so that the you know these false teachers they just look exactly like it and you know made me think actually today of how unfortunately you know often when you see clergy in the news they're often just saying things which you could find on on the pages of the guardian or you know another newspaper they're just saying what the world is saying and you know you very rarely hear uh, christian leaders actually saying things which only christians can say you know to trust in jesus for um, for eternal salvation and so what paul says is that you need to rebuke them this is verse 13 rebuke them sharply so that they'll be sound in the faith so said, look don't you know it's not about ca casting them out you need to rebuke them in order that they'll teach what is right so you know it's not saying just you know have nothing nothing to do with them you know um, throw them out on their ear as it were but rebuke them so that they will teach what is right so that's the purpose of the of the rebuke is so that they would do what is right it's trying to win them rather than trying to try to expel them um, and then he, he, he closes this section by talking about purity and I think this is why um, uh, I mentioned the purity you know the, the, the Jewish laws because I think these people were say were saying in order to be pure you had to obey all of these all of these laws and this is why I think Paul is saying no to the pure all things are pure but to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure in fact both their minds and consciences are corrupted you know, they claim to know God by their actions they deny him and what's all this about and what Paul is getting at is just what what Jesus said which is that purity doesn't come from our external observance of the law but from the inside and this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 verses 9 to 15 Mark chapter 7 verses 9 to 15 he continued that you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. So nothing can defile a person by going in, but rather it's what comes out that defiles. And this is what Jesus showed when he said you know, they were seemingly observing the commands, but they just found ways out of observing those commands rather than doing what was right and so this is one of the really important things about the gospel and this is why Paul is so so kind of hot on this which is that our our rightness with God our righteousness our justification comes from our faith in Christ and that is what produces that the transformation in our behavior in our obedience it's not the case that our obedience leads to our acceptance with God and our purity. That's a, that's a big no-no. So let's, uh, let's draw a few conclusions as we come to the end here. Um, I think the first thing I would say is talking about pastors and, and bishops. This is what John Calvin, the, the, uh, 
the, the reformer had to say. The pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. So there are two voices, one for, for gathering the sheep, one for driving away wolves and thieves. And both of those things are, are important. And we've seen that in last week and now this week, that a pastor has to both you know, um, teach sound doctrine to encourage to gather and to refute those who oppose it, you know, to drive away the wolves. And this is, um, both of those voices are important. And unfortunately, I think what seems to be the case today in, and I'd say this in, in the Church of England, but I think other denom denominations also have this, it's much easier to be one who, who teaches the faith but who never says anything about negative about anyone else. Now, we have to have both aspects. If one is missing, that is distorting. So if you teach the truth, and if you stand up for the truth all the time, but you never say anything about anyone who is um, you know, teaching wrongly, then you're not really standing up for the truth in the biblical uh, Titus sense. And this is, I think, the big error of our of our, our days certainly when it comes to bishops it's, it's not that they're necessarily teaching heresy it's that they're permitting things to go on when they should be exercising their their authority now there are many reasons for that and and it's easy to complain my big thing is just you know let's let's pray for the bishops because you know we know that they've got a hard enough job and you know whether you think they're doing a good job or a bad job i think that you know the at the very least we should be praying for them and um, you know we should be encouraging them when they do 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 what is right uh, as well so let's uh, I think after this we'll, we'll just have a moment to pray I'll pray for bishops the second thing is who do we listen to who do we listen to and I thought about this a little bit in the last um, last week as well but I just think it's worth coming back to because now there's so much choice now you can literally go on to youtube and you can search for any church you like and you know most churches now have got things on youtube who do you listen to now do you listen to to people who who will teach the faith and um and rebuke what is false now are we putting ourselves under the feet of people who who have this kind of mentality uh, and I think this is a, an important thing to, to remember now that, you know, it's not just the case that you have your local church and you just go to the local church, you know, but, um, you know, we need to we need to be wise in who we we allow to to guide us and, and who we we kind of submit to as as those who teach us the word of God. And the final thing is just going back to that question of of godliness and we need to remember, and this is just so important, we need to remember that godliness leads to actions. Godliness leads to action. It's not the case, there are two different distortions, it's not the case that you know, we say, oh well it, it doesn't matter if we have actions, if we have good deeds, if we have good works. Some people go down that road and those are the people who like to talk about being inclusive. You know, we like to be inclusive of everyone. It doesn't matter. God just loves you. You don't really need to change your behaviour. 
um, no, we, know, we don't want to go down that road. At the same time, we don't want to go down the road of saying you have to do this in order to be saved. You know, we, we mustn't go down that road either. Both of those are no through, no through roads. The only road which actually we can go down, according to the Bible, is this of, of God's grace, of, of knowing God's grace being the only thing that will transform us. And that's why it's so important you know, that God's grace is the only thing that transforms us and that changes us. You know, God's grace will, uh, will alone have the power to work in us, cause us to, to bring about the good fruit in our lives will cause us to actually you know, love God and love others and, and have that love in our hearts rather than a kind of conformity to rules to actually work love in us to do what is right for the, the right reasons. Only God's grace can do that. That's why Paul is so hot on this. That's why at the time of the Reformation, you know, 500 years ago, uh, Luther and the other reformers, they were so, so hot on no justification by faith alone. No faith alone, it's grace alone. They really stressed that because they knew that that was the beating heart of the Christian faith. And this is a question for us. Now, are we trying to, uh, to, to seek justification in the good things that we do? Are we trying to, to base our acceptance with God on all the good things that we do? Or are we trying to base it on grace alone? And letting that be the thing which transforms us and which which helps us, uh, you know, changes it inside to want to love God and serve him with our hearts. An important question to finish with. But um, I just leave you with that, really. And this is why it's this is why looking at Titus is important. And this is what we're going to go on in the next couple of weeks to think about just as we finish off Titus is we're thinking about the gospel and how it is grace that's really in the engine room of doing what is good. So let's take a moment to, to pray and ask God for his help in living, uh, in living this out. Now, Heavenly Father, we do pray for those you put in, in positions of authority in the church. We pray for pastors, we pray for bishops. We pray, Lord, that you would give them strength to do what is right, especially when it comes to rebuking error. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to uh, to listen and submit to those who have um, a commitment to the truth uh, in all of the, these right kind of ways, as Paul outlines here. And we pray that you would help us above all to remember that it is your grace that makes the difference in our lives. Help us to be people who seek you and seek your grace day by day, that that would make the difference, make the transformation in each of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.